Welcome to Tab Storytellers Podcast. This is Abby Padovey, and I am so excited to be here um, with my co-host and just to revisit what Tab is. It is teaching for artistic behavior, where we believe that the child is the artist, the classroom is the studio, and we explore what do artists do. And here's my co-host. Hi, everybody. It's Jen Ferrari. Thank you so much for joining us for Tab Storytellers. So uh, just a little bit about this podcast. It was established to promote dialogue among art teachers who seek best practices in contemporary art education and to advocate for TAB pedagogy and practice. This podcast, which we lovingly refer to as a TABcast, is published once a month and is a place to share our TAB stories with one another. These stories can come from TAB educators, administrators, community members, researchers, and many more sources. So from how we found TAB, to implementation in the classroom, to advocacy for your program, to dispelling myths about TAB practice, we cover everything. Um, for more information after this TABcast, you can navigate to teachingforartisticbehavior.org. There you'll find information, inspiration, and incredibly helpful items such as teacher-created resources and access to an online community of TAB educators called Mighty Networks. All right, so Abby, I'm gonna hand it back over to you to introduce tonight's guest. Yes, we have tonight, I'm very excited to have DJ Ozmak on. Um, we're, we've been friends for years and um, I had not realized that he was a TAB person. And so I'm excited to hear how his, his journey into TAB. Welcome DJ. Well, hello everybody. Thanks for having me, um, Abby and Jenny. It's great to see you guys again. Um, so, my story with Tab um, started back in, God, I think it was like 2010. Um, and I was just, I was tired um, in my classroom. And I had actually started my career as an educator in um, 2007. Um, and I had been traveling between like two or three schools at that time. Um, and just learning from other educators and not really having my own classroom. Um, and then I finally got my own classroom in, I guess it was 2009. Um, and in 2010, I, I had heard about the TAB conference that we had here in Colorado. And I was like, I want to go. So I started talking to my admin at school. Um, and our um, curriculum specialist or instructional coach, I guess is what it was called back in Jeffco at that time. Um, she was like, oh yeah, like I want to go with you. Um, and that was the first time that I had actually had like an admin, like validate what I want to do as an artist and as an art educator. Um, so we both went to the tab conference um, that Martin Luther King weekend. And that must've been like one of the very first ones, I think. Yeah, it was at the, it was at the dam, the Denver Art Museum. Um, and I remember Dale was there and I was just like completely blown away. Um, I had almost filled a, a whole journal just with notes um, that weekend. And I, um, I vividly remember to this day um, coming back from that conference on um, that Tuesday, I literally ripped every cabinet door off of my cabinets in my classroom. Because uh, I was like, these kids need access to all these supplies and if they're locked away, um, with my ADHD, like, you know, if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. Um, and I'm never going to, so I was like, if these kids are going to do this, they need access, you know, and that's really where tab came into 
play in my life. It was like, what do we have access to? Um, and, and what is my role as an educator? Because if I'm, and this is kind of fast forwarding a little bit, but like I really, with, with COVID and our equity training and Denver Public Schools, like if I'm designing the, the curriculum and the outcome, like then who is the artist? And that's the question that really drives me. Um, because if I'm telling them what to do, when to do, how to do, and why to do, then they're basically my little minions um, and they're doing my art projects um, and they're not using their brains and they're not, you know, finding what they're passionate about. Uh, and they're, they're really convergent thinkers versus divergent think thinkers, which is where um, my heart is right now. Um, so that, that's kind of my tab story. Um, I, I, I haven't been like a full on tabber just because um, it's, it's a lot. Um, and, and I did full on choice tab, um, my first year, and then I learned a lot <laughs> about it. Um, and so I'm more of a modified tabber, um, if you will. And then at the high school level now that I'm at, um, the kids don't follow me. So they, they, they you know, they take my class and, the, and then they're done and they move on to other art classes. So like, I don't get the opportunity to follow them for, um, three years or four years or have them follow me. So um, Modified Choice is, is a great introduction to um, studio habits and, and having them think like an artist and, and not having them being um, spoon-fed, as, mm -hmm. as I call it, so. Yeah, I think that's, um, I think that's a balance. It's, it's, the goal is you want them to be independent artists, but like, it's also not just like, I mean, I, my first year, like basically opened up all the cabinets and was like, yay, just try and be artists. And it was like, they weren't ready. Like sometimes like kids, we have to reteach them how to be divergent thinkers. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I remember from the last Tab Colorado conference that just happened this past year um, was there was, we, well, Abby and I, when we were doing the keynote, we shared a lot of our own like thoughts about what tab was and how it was kind of like reflected in practice with different educators. And when you were talking about being full choice, because there's really a continuum, right? There's a continuum of choice, but not really a continuum of tab. You either are a tab teacher or you're not because you believe in the child as the artist, which you clearly do. So I think that there is that continuum and to be a modified choice teacher, doesn't necessarily mean that you are no longer tab because there's different ways to approach, you know, a similar problem. I mean, even Abby has described herself as modified choice. And I, at some point in my curriculum, I fluctuate between full choice and then very little limited choice when kids are doing skill builders or things like that. So um, that's always an interesting conversation to have with people. Uh, I'm glad that we that you brought it up so we could kind of revisit it again because I think it's one of those things we always have to remind ourselves of like it's okay to at times limit choice that and that's that's an okay thing and I think it was Dale at the same conference this past January she said that there are some people who work really well with like looser constraints and then there are some that work better as design thinkers so there's a continuum there too just something to you know i think keep in mind because we all think differently yeah i mean i totally 100 percent agree 
Um, a lot of my students, and, and this is why I'm not like a, a full-on tab um, teacher and do modified choices because a lot of my kids, um, and I don't know if it's the pandemic that, that caused this, but a lot of them, if you give them too many options, they just, it, it becomes an excuse to procrastinate. Um, and it almost becomes a barrier for them because they don't know where to get started. Um, and and you, you mentioned the word, um, Jennifer, about like constraints. Like, I don't, I don't want to necessarily limit what my kids do, but, you know, providing constraints for them gives them enough of, you know, a structure for them to then springboard off of, off of that. So um, another, another caveat of, of my, my teaching is, is being an artographer and really giving our kids that ability to become the artist, the researcher, and the teacher, uh, which then transitions my um, pedagogy into more of a, a collaborator um, or a curiosity cultivator, which is what I refer to myself. So I'm not a dictator anymore, and I'm not designing the, the, the outcome um, but we set our constraints on, okay, so you're going to pick a medium to work with um, so that they don't have, you know, 15 different options, but um, really thinking about like, okay, so I'm going to do a drawing because that's what I'm interested in. Um, and then they pick their subject matter and then go from there. Um, but really it's, you know, with our visual journaling and artography, it's like, okay, so what happens next? Um, and we we spend more time playing and experimenting and less time planning um, and researching um, because most of my kids, when they pick up a pencil, they hold it like they're going to write an essay. Um, mm -hmm. But then if you ask them to hold that pencil in a different direction and try and make as many different marks with that pencil, they start to become an artist. And they start to, at least that's my opinion, um, is they start to, to explore different mark making techniques um, where there, there's more experimentation and more playing um, at first so they can gain um, those skills and that knowledge and then make art later. Um, so that's that's kind of where 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 we've gone. Um, I also do teach a lot of special education students, um, and they're integrated into our classroom. So I have a very diverse group of students where I I, I tend to lean on my students who have more um, craft or they develop their craft a little bit more to then teach um, my my special education students, and then vice versa. Um, my special education students, they will just kind of go off on their own little tangents. Um, and it's it's fun to see their their process um, kind of dive in and without it's almost like reckless abandonment, but at the same time they're 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 just, you know, they're they're going for it. They they have no filters and they have they don't have that that voice in the back of their head like that I do it's like oh like you know I, I notice a lot of my kids have that fear of making a mistake um and and that's what I tell my kids is like you know you have a permission permission slip to fail um and there is no right or wrong way to make art um and that's where the, the that divergent thinking and this whole theory of like 
rhizomatic relationships of like, okay, I'm interested in this one idea and then I'm going to jump to this one and then this one. And then, you know, you're kind of all over the place and it, it really takes art um, and it, it removes that linear process. Um, and that's what, really mm -hmm. what I'm trying to break down is the, the linear process of art um, because I don't plan that way. I don't make art yeah. that way. So <laughs> I have a question. So just to clarify, sure. so you teach secondary students, right? I do currently, yes. Okay. So I'm wondering what um what type of like art education background are they coming from when they come to you? Do they have experience with TAB before they see you? Um, a lot of our kids do not. Um, and a lot of our kids, I, I teach primarily freshmen um, at our school and they haven't had elementary, um, our art since like elementary school because um, our, our middle schools, they don't, they don't really have time to take art um, in our school. And if they do art, it's like maybe a semester. So um, it's a lot of, of reteaching the elements and principles and, and basic techniques and, and things like that. So I'm really trying to prepare my kids as much as possible um, so that they can go into higher level art classes um, immediately. So, you know, I, I do little boot camps and things like that because I am trying to get away from teaching primarily the elements and principles, but mm -hmm. um, it is also a great foundation for, for our students um, to kind of to get the academic language and the vocabulary down um, because we do have a lot of um, English language learners in our, in our building. So it's, it's a great way to learn vocabulary um, and all of that, so. But I think that sometimes we stigmatize elements and principles. I mean, I know that I do sometimes in my own head, but it is it is a vocabulary. It is a language of making. Mm -hmm. And when we remember that it's a language and that that's what it is and that we can use it effectively with students to be able to have conversations about art in real ways, when it's put into the right. context of use instead of mm -hmm. the standalone projects about how to make all these parts separately, I think they're a great thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I use a lot of the, I mean, we, when we go into open studio, because uh, as an elementary teacher, DJ, I do a lot of teacher time, open studio, and then clean up and share at the end. And during that open studio, when I go out and I do one-on-one -on -one informal meetings with students, I stop and I take a look at their work and I try to have those conversations using that vocabulary in the moment where it then makes sense because of what Abby was just sharing about it being relevant. But I do, I think it's really important because without that language, you can't really, I think, have a full experience. But I think it's just the context and like how you're using it. Like what is what will make the most impact on the kids that you have? And it's interesting that you mentioned that they don't have a background in TAB and maybe not even very much in art and since elementary school. I've always been interested myself in research on how early TAB experiences can affect like later on art experiences because as like a high school teacher, like a former high school teacher, because I was one, I used to see a lot of that same thing that you were talking about, about how there's like that hesitation and, you know, how, what do I, what grade do I need to get till I get it done? And I wondered, I always wondered like how that started, which is why I decided to go into elementary because I wanted to try to see if I could change that earlier and I think that tab might have a positive impact but I'm interested 
if some point, whether it's me or someone else, maybe a collaboration of like figuring out if there is a link. I yeah. want to, I mean, there's parts of me that want to extend that further and be like, all right, what, what's it like for somebody to have tab all the way through and then mm. end up as a tab teacher? I mean, there's all sorts of different ways to think about those kinds of things. Mm. Um, speaking about being a teacher, like I thought DJ was really, I really liked how you described how you see your role in the classroom. Um, I'm right now doing my dissertation work like this week, <laughs> like um, writing up conclusions and data uh, analysis and stuff. And um one of the questions that I asked 20 different people um, was like, what is your definition of what tab is? And then what are its advantages? You know, what's tab not? And what are some disadvantages? And none of those questions ask, what is the role of the teacher? Mm. And so many mm. of the answers were related to the role of the teacher. And so I think that that's one of those interesting things that mm. I feel a little bit like we don't as a, as a, as like in a kind of like in a organization and like we're not I mean we have an organization now but like as a movement as a pedagogy I don't think we've done a great job of addressing that um because I think that we end up with a lot of people who feel like they're not doing the right thing as the teacher in the room they're like uh what am I supposed to be doing am I like I think we all I mean I think we tend to end up as facilitators or I mean it depends on who you are I, I think Ronnie Roar tends to think of herself as like a studio designer like she's recreating the studio mm -hmm. space for her students to access materials. So I think that's a super interesting, like the way that we define our role inside of our situation. And I don't think it has to be defined for us, but I think it is, it is interesting because I think it informs how that works with students too. So just, I mean, random thoughts from research today. Yeah. I, I just to build on that, like, um, so we've, I mean, coming out of the pandemic, like the pandemic just shook everything up for me. Um, and really made me question what I'm doing in my classroom. Um, and, and then all the research that I'm doing, what I'm finding is like, I don't have to be the expert in the room. Um, mm -hmm. You know, th this banking model that, that education has been for, you know, hundreds of years, where the teacher is standing in front of the room and depositing knowledge, you know, into the, the heads of these students. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be the, the case anymore. Um, and, and learning alongside of our kids um, empowers them a lot. Um, mm -hmm. and, and we're there to learn with them, you know, especially if we're, we're talking about being more like culturally responsive in our classrooms um, and with all the contemporary artists that are out there in the world. Um, you know, I was, I was raised and, and taught and, you know, about the, you know, the canon um and you know uh, all the dead white guys that you know made art um and then we you know built the elements and principles off of that um and, and that's what we taught but nowadays it's like okay well you know i've got i'm i'm the minority in the room um at, at my school so it's like okay so you know what what other artists are out there in the world and it, it becomes an exploration um, and it becomes a, a great task for where, okay, like, great, you and I are going to collaborate together. And we're going to learn about um, artists from all over the world, not just right here, you know, in America or, you know, Anglo-Saxon art, you know, and, and things like that, that have been, you know, shown mm -hmm. in, in museums. But I mean, they're, you know, with Instagram and TikTok and all these, you know, platforms, there's so many artists that are out there. It's just, you know, we have to be willing to, to take that risk. 
Um, so I, I really don't want to be that dictator anymore and be like, okay, we're going to do this assignment because it touches on, you know, line, shape, and color. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's more about our students forming their own identity uh, and using art as a vehicle to, to learn who they are as a person uh, and what they like and what they don't like and what they're not good at and, um, and then giving them enough confidence to continue um, that pathway. And, and learn, you know, how to express themselves non-verbally through image, um, you know, and, and we've always focused on, you know, our art as, a, as an outlet, you know, oh, mm -hmm. we, you know, we express ourselves through art, but white, you know, with TikTok and all these in Instagram, art almost becomes an inlet um, mm -hmm. where you're gaining so much about the world and the world is so connected um, through imagery and through, you know, music and all these other different art forms. It's like, okay, so how do we learn how to like pick this apart and figure out who we are as a person and what we like? Um, and that's, that's my role um, is, is to help these kids become more fully human um, and learn what they like, what they dislike um, and help them I, like form their identities. That is so interesting. So I just thought of something listening to you talk right now reminded me of a recent event that happened in my classroom. One of my fourth graders came up to me one day and she said, Mrs. Ferrari, I think I have a good artist for you to share during artist inspiration. And I was like, really? And so she was telling me about this person that she had seen on, I think it was YouTube. And she shared like, why? And I was like, that sounds awesome. And I think for me, those are the most exciting moments is when our kids, like our students start to then like take ownership over their, their curriculum, like their education. And the way that you kind of were just talking about it, it made me think that a while ago before we had you know the internet and social media and all of this the teachers were the gatekeepers of the knowledge because we had it in textbooks and for past education and it wasn't something that everyone had easy access to but now everybody has access and it's like right there at your fingertips like all the time and you're constantly being flooded with it so i mean for us to not use our students as a resource and to think of ourselves as the expert i think is foolish because anybody could be an expert in this regard you know where we're like sharing information and knowledge with each other and I'm I'm excited to see I think education in general go more in that direction and I think that this is this is the start like what we are doing so DJ I know and I don't I if people don't know DJ Osmak if you are ever at a conference and there is a lounge and there are people with giant journals one of them is probably DJ. Um, and so literally, um, DJ just has the most, the most intense visual journaling, like daily practice that I've ever seen. I, I, I do not have a daily practice like DJ has a daily practice. And so wow. how do how do you manage keeping that spark for you? Mm. Well, so that's a really good question, Abby. <laughs> yeah, um, and I can't wait to hear the answer either because yeah. I've, answer, I've seen your journals in person question. too and they're phenomenal. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it goes back to college. I remember 
when I was in school or even high school, like, you know, they're like, oh, like you can journal, you can journal, you journal, but nobody ever really taught you how to journal. Like there's so many different ways, you know, and I always use my journal as, as a plan, you know, as a jumping off point for um, larger artwork. Um, and, and then I met Sam and David and Eric and Michael, you know, my, my journal gurus. Um, and I, I owe everything to them. listening. That's like, that was the journal fodder junkies. Yeah, it was the journal fodder junkies. And then we've kind of branched off and, and made our own, you know, group and we're, we're building and building and building. Um, so I, I wanted to jump out of my comfort zone and, and get off a of canvas. Um, and it really started with the, the idea that my artwork never has to be finished. So there was a, a pedagogical shift or a mind shift or a paradigm shift, whatever you want to call it, um, from being finished versus my work being resolved, um, which gave me a permission slip to continue to go. Um, so in my journal work, um, I was starting to buy 600 page journals. Um, and I set out to start one and it just so happened that I started it um, in January of 2020. Um, and that journal really didn't start blossoming until um, March 13th um, of 2020, which was my last full day of school um, before we kind of shut down for COVID. Um, we went on our extended spring break, which ended up being um, a year and a half, basically, of remote learning. So that was my jumping off point. And what I started to do and use that journal for was really um, kind of just documenting my own experience um, of, of teaching and art and what I'm curious about. Um, and once I started working on 20 to 30 pages at a time and just repeating those steps, because that's what it's really about is, um, and I call it slow motion multitasking. Um, so when I start my journal, it's it's 20 or 30 pages at a time. And, and before we jump on this call, I had actually started my, my third um, large journal and it's got 600 pages. And my goal is to get that thing done before um, March of 2024, um, because I want to do 600 pieces of art in a year. Um, but if I think about it as one page at a time, that's a pretty daunting task. Um, and what I tell my students through our journaling is, okay, so you're going to repeat the same steps for 10, 20, 30 pages. So I'll, I'll do my background layers um, 30 pages at a time, and then I'll go back and I'll repeat elements. So um, in my own journaling, I'm really interested in, in geometry versus like, so it's geometry versus um, organic shapes or natural versus organic shapes um, or organic versus geometric um, or nature versus man. Um, there's a lot of different themes that are going on in my journaling at the moment. Um, but so then I'll just repeat the same step over and over and over. And then so that removes that barrier of thinking because I know that I'm gonna add circles on each page. It's just like, where do I put them? Um, or what color do I use? So promoting those constraints, working with one element at a time. So maybe I work with circles for the next 30 pages and then it's it's all about layering. 
so then it's it's lying after that. Um, so I'm creating almost like a, an algorithm or a um, an equation that I'm following steps each page so that I don't have to think about it. Um, and then when I'm like ready for imagery or text or to cut holes into my journals or whatever I'm doing, um, those are the final stages. And then I do all of my inking and outlining or printmaking on top of that. And then those pages are quote unquote resolved um, until I know what I want to do on that page. And if nothing ever comes, no inspiration comes, I don't stop and wait. I just keep going um, and hoping that inspiration or something that I hear in the news or see on, you know, social media or Instagram will, will spark an idea. Um, and that's kind of where I started with this third book is my, my second book. I was, I was doing a lot of jelly prints and things like that. Um, just trying to play with texture. Um, and I got to the last 30 pages of the book and I was like, I don't know what to do. Um, so then I had a, that, that internal monologue, like, okay, do I wait or do I just buy book number three? Because I already know that I want to do something completely different um, and play with something completely different. So I bought book three um, and I'll put book two back on a shelf. And then hopefully um, in the next couple of weeks, you know, something will spark or, you know, and, and there's no timeline on that because that book is never finished. Um, you know, it might be retired for a minute, but it's there. Um, and the great thing about journaling is once you make it, um, and I really try and get my kids to do this is like not to rip their pages out of the journal, because if they make a mistake on a page, um, you have to learn from the mistake, you have to, you know, and if, if you rip it out, then it never happened. Um, so I can see that in my journal and I can see that progression happening in my journals. I can see that progression happening in my students' journals. Um, and I'm just continuing to grow as an artist. And that's what really motivates me is like how far I've come in, in the last three years as an artist. Um, and I've completely gone away from being a, a representational um, landscape painter to more of an abstract artist that every page of my journal is connected to a feeling. Um, it's connected to a day and I can open up to any page in my journal. I can tell you exactly what I was thinking that day, even if I don't have it dated um, because it's become a part of who I am as a person. Um, and that journal goes with me everywhere. And I work on my journal when I'm with my kids. Um, I work on my journal when I'm at home um, on breaks and my kids see what I'm doing and they're like, hey, I want to try that too. Great. I'm like, okay, well, come on over, you know, and we'll sit together and, and you can work in my journal or we can work on, on a separate sheet of paper or you can, they can work in their journal. Um, so it's just become part of my, my teaching practice um, and a part of my own social emotional um, healing from being isolated during COVID. That's what really kind of sparked all this. So I know that was a long-winded answer um so i'm going to pause here for follow-up questions and then we can go well i was going to say like <laughs> having been you know doing tab before before you had a journal practice and now that you have like a pretty ritualistic practice does that change how you're able to connect with your students when you want them to be artists because they're not going to be artists like you're an artist but like just that, like helping them understand what it is to feel like an artist. Yes. 
short answer. Um, because so with with the whole tab approach, um, I'm really trying to get my kids to not just put their images right in the center of their page, right? Uh, I mean, they do their background as like a, an afterthought. Um, so that whole like idea of layering meaning um, or layering elements or principles of art um, and creating these non-representational backgrounds um, really, it kind of sparks multitudes of, of opportunities. Um, so if you're if you're working with marker, you know how many different ways can you use a marker? Um, and what I've found out in my journaling is that you know if you're using a water-based marker, then it always becomes a watercolor paint if you add enough water to your page. So it gives students a permission slip to try new things um, and use materials in a non-traditional way, um, which just plays on more experimentation and more play. Um, and the more they experiment and the more they play, the more they're developing their craft um, and they're learning new techniques, in my but, opinion. And that's goes back. I wrote down at the beginning, I, I actually made a note. Jen is the one who makes notes. I am not a note taker, <laughs> but I actually wrote this one down because um, in the research that I'm doing, part of it is I'm researching the founders of Tab um, and John Crow um, was modified choice. And he'll tell you now he's modified choice. And he goes, if I went back to the classroom today, I'd be modified choice. He goes, I, it's too much for me to have everything out all at once. And so he would do things by quarters, but he developed um, what his version, he calls it his version of tab, but it's called play and care. Um, mm -hmm. And there's two categories of artwork. There's the category of artwork where you're playing. And then there's the artwork where you put a lot of care into it and that you don't get to a care artwork without play artwork kind of thing. And this whole idea that like, it's okay just to make things that are exploratory and play and you're not going to put as much time or value and, you know, kind of those things that like, you know, I, I guess when I first started teaching and I was not, I had no idea what tab was. I always felt like kids should be putting their best, you know, like they're in my classroom, they should be doing their best and be like, and then I have to think to myself, like, what day did I ever say, you know, like, Hey, it's Tuesday at three, you know, like two twenty-five PM you better start creating your very best work right now because you have the opportunity. No, I mean, I was a human. I'm not going to always create my best on a schedule just because that happens to be the time I have. Um, and so to be able to have that permission to just play. And I think that he actually had, um, he would do it with his college kids, uh, John Crow, he would um, give them a license to play. It was like a big sheet. And he said he'd put a gold sticker, like a big gold seal on the corner and mm. made it official. And just was like, and he said that uh, it was amazing how many people just needed that permission to be able to go, oh, I'm allowed to. Um, mm. And I was talking with a colleague this weekend. Um, and we're doing a book study and it was like, do I have permission to read ahead? And I was like, you own the book. I was like, do you want me to say you have permission? You have permission. <laughs> like, um, I think that we forget sometimes do we just need to give permission because we think the kids know they have it. And and it's something I don't mm -hmm. realize they don't feel like they have it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you bring that up about play and care because I just this past week started introducing the concepts of play art and care art to my third graders because we're coming up to art show season. And when it comes to art show season, most of the things that are shared in the art show are care art pieces. But when I was talking to my other grade levels, um, who already are familiar with the terms and what they are, 
I was having a conversation with one of my fifth graders and I said, what are you thinking about doing for the art show? And she was like, oh, well, I'm kind of like working on it outside of school. When I come to school, I only do play art. And I was like, what do you mean? Um, because, but like you just said, it's not like every Friday at 930, you're going to be ready to do what you need to do. No, it doesn't work like that. So I keep having to remind myself about not only just giving permission, but like reminding myself that we don't all work on the same schedule and that like, it's okay to also pursue, which I want them to do. This is what I want, like probably more than anything as a teacher is for them to continue being artists outside the classroom. So for, for them to do that, that's huge. And it just reminded me of that when you brought it up. But I also love DJ, when you were talking about the possibilities of what art is and what it could be, because I know I think of art in a very specific way, and I don't necessarily like that I think about it in a very set way. But when I see your, your, and I think of it still as a sketchbook, because when I was growing up and how I referred to it and learned about it, it was a sketchbook. But a sketchbook is a place where you put your sketches, your ideas for then like what you want to do. A journal is like something totally different. And when I look at a blank page, I am overwhelmed with anxiety of what I'm going to put on a blank page, which I know my students feel also. So that's why I think it's very important for there to be that, that maybe shift in like your mindset or like how you're approaching it, which is not easy, but maybe that's one of those things that you have to do as, a, as an artist to you know try to work through that the uncomfortableness of it um I just do you have do you do so you said you have a group of people right that you still kind of collaborate and work with do you do you do anything together to like bring other people into this practice of journaling so um I I've as the former president of Colorado Art Education Association there we go there's a selfish plug uh, <laughs> and through NAEA um, we, we do get together, um, and, and we co-present, um, and, and I invite them to our conference to, to kind of create this wave. Um, so the momentum is building. Um, I, I truly believe, um, from the college level down and it's starting to trickle down into the high school and middle school and elementary school. Um, and, you know, I always, when I present about my journal and everything, you know, it's like, I always tell everybody that I'm, I'm creating my army. Um, and, and it's not an army to take over the world, but it's an army to just like, you know, create that paradigm shift. Um, so, you know, just building on that, you know, my journey has gone from DBAE to tab to journaling, but it's all like interconnected. Um, but the journaling um, really is, it's a shift to a practice and art mm -hmm. as a practice and less is a high stakes assessment. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, Abby, you're kind of mentioning that like, Oh, you know, your work's got to be perfect and it's got to be, you know, you turn it in and then it's got to be museum quality um, right off the bat. Uh, my shift in my practice this year is like, okay, we're going to practice, 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 practice. Uh, and then you're going to have at least one piece that is museum or hallway quality. Um, and that's been the, the biggest mind shift in, in my practice is like, okay, um, 
even if a kid doesn't make a finalized piece of art all year long and you can see their growth because that's really what we're looking for in the classroom is is how they're growing um and and because of that i've gotten rid of rubrics um you know i don't want them to be tailing their work to what i think is good um but more in essence of what they feel is satisfying um or pleasing to them um so we we look at different success criteria or we create success criteria um for their work and then they kind of go off of that and i'm scrolling through some other slides of mine real quick um just to kind of get some verbiage here um but we really like you know like the art of play is super important so really engaging them and letting them explore or communicate you know something in their work or empower them um to go off on their own tangent and really like launch into their own um investigation of art is really what I want them to do instead of them trying to please me um I'm really tired of my students coming up like is my work good is it good is it good I'm like I don't know like who am I <laughs> you know like who am I to tell you that your work is good or bad um but there's also a shift in focus between like quantity you know when I when I started out as an educator it was like oh like quality 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 but like what I'm finding out, even through my practice, quantity leads to quality. So the more mistakes you make, the better your work's going to be. Um, and and Jennifer, as you were saying, like you know, your kid sees a blank page, um, have them scribble on that page um, because mm -hmm. action comes before motivation. So if if they're just working and they're not really thinking about what their end goal is, but they're filling that page with color and shape and line um, and making it balanced or asymmetrically balanced, um, their actions will be filling that page. And then that kind of removes the thinking as a form of procrastination because they're, um, they don't have an end result yet. Um, but on the flip side of that, a lot of my students still are like, but why did we make all these backgrounds? I'm like, well, so that you could use them later. Um, and there's still a barrier there because they're like, oh, I don't want to draw on top of that. You know, I, that background doesn't fit. Like, okay, well, maybe it will later. Um, so there, there's a lot, a big shift um, in that. And I can't remember where I was going to go with that. But like, they're they're studying their own personal goals and they're they're finding their own interests and recruiting their own interests. And it also becomes like a sustaining of effort um, because. <laughs> They're like, oh, that was really cool. I'm going to redo that, you know, or, or I'm going to try and improve on that. Um, and a lot of the, my students will do things that I never would have thought of doing. Mm. Uh, so then I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to steal that from you. Um, and then I'm <laughs> going to incorporate that into my work. And then they get really excited. Like, oh, like Mr. Osmek's learning from me. <laughs> so. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's my, one of my favorite things to do is when I get to tell a student I learned something today from you, you know, and I actually started a bulletin board in our, in our, one of our hallways that um, it says students becoming teachers in the art room, because that's what I really want them to do. I want them to take ownership, but I also want them to do the teaching. I love it. That's my favorite. <laughs> so I guess one of the things I was thinking about, because Jen, you'd asked about like, is that, you know, like when 
DJ's working with like Sam Peck and David Modler. Yeah, Modler. Yeah, because they came to the Colorado conference this year. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's one of those things where when you make art and in public, people want to make art with you. Um, Mm. And so um, DJ has a practice of just like doing it in like a hotel lobby. Like he's going to be at NAEA this year. Um, And I'm betting that if you if you stumble across somebody making art in a journal, it's probably going to, or somebody's going to know DJs around. Um, but also that like my own, you know, David, my kid was at that conference. Um, oh, my girls are being naughty. And they, you know, Sam and Dave, you know, are now on a journal exchange with my son. Like um, awesome. so there's journal exchanges that can happen. But I think that that's also one of those things where practice inspires practice. And so um I appreciate you like sharing how that works for you and your students being able to like um, inspire each other too. Mm. Abby, did you say that DJ was going to be at the convention this year? Yeah. Are you running a session, DJ? I am not. Dave and Sam uh, are. I think it's a pay ticket one though. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll just jump in with them and just be like, hey. Um, <laughs> it was really cool because they sent me a video on um, Instagram the other day. So I, um, they had given me a journal, just a little paper one, it's like eight by, I don't know, six by nine or something like that. Um, they gave me two of them and they're like, here, fill this. So <laughs> of course, being me, I was like, oh, I'll fill this in a week. Um, cause it was only like 50 pages. Well, they were installing a show at, um, Sam school. I think it was, uh, I can't remember what it is. Dartmouth or something like that. UMass Dartmouth. Yeah. Um, and and they sent me a video they're like hey like your artwork's going up and i was like this is freaking crazy um so my journals are actually going to go um my my two big journals are going to go with them probably after convention um and then we'll be installing the next show but that was kind of what was so abby had mentioned these so we have we all have these little like four by six journals um and i give these to my kids a lot um and i have like 10 of these that i'm working on um and i i literally filled this in a week um of thanksgiving break um and it really is just like a recipe book of how to use line and pattern um so that i can incorporate this into my work so this is my playing um that i do and you'll see that i'm starting to add like layers on top of my my lines um with alcohol pens and and highlighters um, to create different designs. Um, so this is one of my practice books um, and it, just to, to play in my journal. So then I have my, my regular journals that I'm like, you know, reckless abandonment um, and I don't care what they look like, but I, I also want to have recipe books. Um, and through my, my tab um, lessons, I, I tell my kids we're creating um, it, through their journals, we're creating um, creative recipes basically so on how to use line shape color contrast you know all the elements and principles so that they can then mix um those ingredients together to make amazing wonderful original works of art um and having those pages you know jen you mentioned it a couple um probably a couple minutes ago you know the the sketchbook um Mm -hmm. i still use the word sketchbook um the sketchbook is more prescribed Mm. um 
activities where we're practicing, you know, like, oh, I want you to fill a page using, you know, diagonal line, straight lines and, and curve lines or, you know, a combination of all different lines. Um, and then we have journal activities where it's more open-ended um, and more student choice. So using both of those terms, sketchbook and journaling um, in one book, the kids know that when, okay, we're going to do a sketchbook activity, they want, they know that I want them to do um, what I'm modeling so they can learn those techniques and those skills. Um, and then they have opportunities just to play in their journal as well. I like that idea. I've always told the kids, I mean, that's always why I've like struggled with um, elements and principles because I always felt like I'm teaching lessons about an ingredient, you know, and it was yeah. like, that's, I mean, it's like just setting the flower on the counter and going, well, you better know what this does. I mean, without anything <laughs> else, I mean, it does lie, you know, that kind of thing. And so like, um, I like the idea that, that creating spaces for kids to understand how they interact and how you can use them and in functional ways, because it is, you can make everything when you have mm -hmm. the right ingredients kind of thing. And um, I, I always told my kids I'd give them extra credit if they could figure out how to make an artwork for me that didn't use any elements or principles. Mm -hmm. um, and all the years I've been teaching, nobody's ever been able to manage it. So I've always figured that uh, no matter what they do, they're going to have those things in them and we can have a conversation about it. But I didn't mm -hmm. need to explicitly teach them um, for a long time because it's just until it's part of the artwork and the conversation, it's not a vocabulary. I mean, I'm not going to teach vocabulary for the sake of vocabulary because um, out of context, it's not meaningful. Do you have other things that you want to share with us before we're done? Jeez. <laughs> what do you really you want to share, DJ? What do I really <laughs> want to share? Okay, great. That's a perfect <laughs> question right here because I got the answer. Um, that the student is the artist the student is the researcher um, and we have to be responsive to what they're interested in um, and here's why um, so i was reading a book equity by design by chardon and nova um, and this quote has changed my life so i'm gonna i'm gonna state this quote and i think it's gonna be a great way to end but if students are are only ever taught how to follow directions, take orders, and follow along. They will never be creators and thinkers, makers and writers. They will never learn the power of their identity, their own thinking, and their voice. They will be governed by those who continue to have power and privilege, um, and students will never have the opportunity to speak their truth. Um, and I feel that as an artist, as an educator, um, it is our responsibility to help these students, you know, find who they are as a person um, and reach their full potential. Um, and, and I know that they're not all going to be professional artists, but the skills and the confidence that they gain in our classrooms are going to help mold and, and shape the future. So um, I, I want them to be free of, of burdens and and self-doubt um and and take that creative risk well thank you dj so much for sharing that because i agree with that sentiment as well um and i think it's a great way for us to continue moving in education that's centering on the, the child absolutely yeah thank you so much um i think as a slight housekeeping note um because uh although 
this will definitely get published before NAEA happens next month in San Antonio. It will. Yes. It may not happen until <laughs> next week. So if you're hearing this podcast now, we recorded it on the 19th of March, just so you know. Um, <laughs> but we are, um, there is a tab dinner at the NAEA. Um, and if you're not familiar with the details on that, they have been posted on, um, is it on Mighty Networks? It's on Mighty Networks. It's on a number of Facebook uh, groups. Tab we should groups. make it an event on Mighty Networks. Yes, we could do that as well. There, there's also going to be, and uh, Abby, not to interrupt, but there's also going to be um, sent out soon um, an agenda that has sessions that are kind of related to tab and choice, um, along with the information about the the social event that Abby's referring to, the dinner with Texas Tab, who will be hosting that, that will be going out shortly. We're just finalizing the details on it, but that will be um, sent out probably in the same sorts of ways, but also if you've ever been on an email list or to the Institute, um, that information will be going out via those ways as well, so. And I think we'll have our, um, I think we're gonna have another live podcast um, from NAEA. Jen and I are both going to be in the same place at the same time. So miracles happen every every blue moon. Yes. And we're going to have quite a few of the Texas tab people with us. So they will be featured on that podcast. And then just really quickly, I wanted to mention that if you're still looking for connection outside of convention or here, just listening to us um, chat with our guests, you're always welcome to go to the teachingfartisticbehavior.org website, where if you just navigate to the top right-hand corner, there's a little blue button that says join our community. And when you click that button, it takes you to Mighty Networks, where is that is our online virtual uh, platform of educators that come together to share all our best practices with one another. So you can always go and um, do that as well. And I just wanted to say that I've been um, digging around on Mighty Networks this week and my many other places I've been digging for information in my research and um, the files that have been kind of floating around behind tab folks from Yahoo groups through into Facebook land and now onto Mighty Networks have followed and migrated over to mm -hmm. uh, Mighty Networks. And so if you are ever like that play and care curriculum thing that I keep hearing people talk about or um, all of these different resources that we or you're looking for resources if you check out the file section on mighty networks there's a lot there that you probably didn't know existed because i didn't so just as a, a resource announcement so thank you dj again so much for joining us we really appreciate you and your time and yeah just thank you you're very welcome um and you know for those of you that are listening if you do happen to come to NEA, you know come find me um, I'm happy to share my journey and my journals. So yeah, I would say, and the journals are amazing. So yeah, thanks so much, DJ. Have a great night. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Bye.